Welcome to the ILO Social Finance Podcast on financial inclusion, impact insurance, and sustainable investing. Our podcast brings insights from around the world, highlighting how financial services contribute to social and economic development. Hi, everyone. My name is Lisa Morgan, and I'm your host today. Today's podcast is on how inclusive insurers are dealing with and planning for the immediate and long-term impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, we turn our attention to Eastern Africa for insights from Kenya. We look at the importance of digitization. The use of technology has really proven to be a lifesaver. The context of COVID-19. This is a very challenging time. And the economy. The insurance industry is very much related to the economic activity in the current uh, in the country. Some of the sectors such as tourism, education, farming, manufacturing have been severely impacted. We also discuss telemedicine as a value-added service and thoughts about insurance in the future. I believe that insurers will need to redefine their role as not just a claim payer, but to become an actual risk manager. Welcome again to our listeners. On today's show, we are very excited to have Saurabh Sharma. Saurabh is General Manager of Britain Microinsurance, Kenya's largest microinsurance provider. He is based in Nairobi, and at Britain, Saurabh and his team develop innovative business models to serve emerging consumers. Before joining Britain, Saurabh was an Impact Insurance Fellow here with us at the ILO and was involved in a project on digital innovation in inclusive insurance. This included launching a mobile hospital cash insurance product that reached more than 160,000 lives in nine months, an incredible achievement. And he also led the digitization of business operations to improve claim turnaround times in the end by 62%. Lastly, just before we begin, Saurabh tells me he is passionate about using insurance as a tool to protect vulnerable communities, and I can certainly relate. So Saurabh, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lisa. Very excited to be here with you today. Great. So let's start out by finding out how things are in Kenya. How have things progressed from the beginning of this pandemic, and what is the situation now? The first case in Kenya was reported in mid of uh, March. So we have been in some kind of a lockdown for uh, more than two months now. Kenya has now registered more than 2,000 positive cases with around uh, 70 deaths. So although it's not a very high number, and it also means that we are not in a full lockdown. Government has implemented a number of preventive actions. For example, international flights have been stopped for more than two months. Entry and exit from some of the hotspots, which includes Nairobi, where I am, has also been uh, stopped. There is not a full lockdown, but there is a curfew, a dusk to dawn curfew in the evening from 7 to 5 a.m. in the morning. And also during daytime, face masks are compulsory for everyone in all the public spaces. So that is the current situation in Kenya. And what about other countries? Britain doesn't just operate in Kenya. Do you have any insight on what's happening in neighboring countries? 
Yes. So Britum is in uh, seven countries in the Eastern and Southern Africa region. And I think compared to Kenya, some of these countries had more stringent uh, actions that were implemented. For example, in Uganda and Rwanda, which were in complete lockdown. However, now these countries have also started to open up. Some of the other countries like Tanzania didn't have a very stringent lockdown. However, in most of the countries, the situation is a bit similar to Kenya with some form of lockdown measures implemented. And um, this must be quite a difficult time to keep business going. So given the current situation, from Britain's perspective, what operational challenges have you been facing and how are you coping? Have you found any innovative solutions? So you're right, uh, Lisa, this is a very challenging time. And I think for Britain, as well as for other industries and companies at this time, the main challenge has really been to balance staff safety and business continuity. We want to ensure that our staff is safe and not exposed to any sort of infection. But at the same time, a lot of our customers rely on Britain. It's very important in the current circumstances that our services are continued so that our customers don't face another financial shock so, but at the same time, as I said, we also want to ensure that our staff is same. So managing that balance has been the biggest challenge. I think so far we have done decently well. We haven't had any cases within our staff, while we have also managed to ensure that most of our operations and processes have been following the usual turnaround time. So there hasn't been a big disruption in our services. So this is thanks to a number of crisis management and innovative solutions that we have used. Britain underwent a digital transformation project in last two, three years. And uh, within that project, we were able to come up with a lot of uh, digital platforms for both our back-end and front-end services. We have employed these innovations to ensure that uh, there is a minimum service disruption. So, for example, one of the challenge was initially to ensure that our staff is working from home. So we decided to procure additional laptops. And I think within the Britain group, 85 to 90 percent of our staff is uh, working from home. But as I was saying, the use of technology has really proven to be a lifesaver. For example, we are using uh, web portals and uh, robotic process automation for our claim processes. We work with uh, more than 400 hospitals across Kenya where our customers access affordable healthcare. And uh, using our hospital web portal, these hospitals are able to submit claims digitally. And other hospitals that are still sending paper-based claims, we are using uh, the process automation where bots pick and process data from these documents and then use machine learning to improve the data processes the efficiency in the data processes. And this has really helped us in maintaining our claims turnaround time while also reducing the need for uh, manual intervention. So while this is for our backend processes, uh, even to serve our customers, we are implementing innovative services. 
we are currently piloting a telemedicine and medicine delivery solution so our customers can have outpatient doctor consultation from the safety of their homes so we are hoping that this will support our customers while also will help in reducing footfalls at the hospitals I'm glad that you mentioned telemedicine because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you um, just in terms of products that people can use, especially, you know, when they don't have to necessarily interact with people. And given the health crisis and people not necessarily wanting to see others face to face, I think telemedicine is a, a very powerful tool. So how is that pilot going? Have you, um, have you rolled it out? Where are you with it? Uh, yes, so we have uh, rolled out this uh, solution and the pilot so far has actually gone quite well. And we decided to use a very simple process uh, as majority of our customers are micro customers or work with small and medium enterprises. So we wanted to have a solution which is simple and minimizes the cost of access. So we didn't go for an app-based solution, but a simple text message-based solution where a customer can send a text message and then receives a call back from the doctor. And since the pilot started, the results have been very encouraging. Actually, within the first two, three hours, we received more than 90 callbacks to our telemedicine solution. And now our plan is to actually go wide uh, very soon. And hopefully within this month, we'll be able to provide that service to all our customers. And even the feedback from customers who have used has been very encouraging. That's excellent. You know, one of the problems that we always used to find with, with telemedicine products before <coughs> the pandemic is that people were maybe hesitant to use it because they liked actually going to see a doctor. Do you think that this pandemic will change the attitudes of users of telemedicine? Absolutely. So as you very rightly mentioned, even in Kenya, previously when telemedicine solutions have been tried, they haven't been very successful. And I think the biggest impediment was this need for behavior change from an in-person consultation to moving to a virtual consultation. But uh, I think uh, as all of us have seen, this pandemic has really instigated a lot of behavior changes among all of us. Even Britain, mostly we are working virtually and we have been doing pretty well. So we are hoping that similar behavior change will happen among our customers as well. In fact, visits to hospitals have dropped drastically in Kenya and different hospitals have reported visits decreasing by more than 30%. So I think this is something to do with the fear among people to visit Absolutely. hospitals. So at, at that time, I think telemedicine can actually help customers by enabling virtual consultations. So we are really hoping that this will be a positive from the pandemic and it will improve the access to healthcare for our customers. Absolutely. What we found certainly in our research is that a lot of a lot of issues can be solved over the phone without actually having to go into healthcare facilities. So I think in the long term, having people use telemedicine has to be has to be a positive thing. And I think the lesson in, in all that you've been saying is that technology is really key. You know, those insurers that have been digitizing their processes before the pandemic probably stand a much better chance of, of surviving through this difficult time. 
So now just moving on to, to products, I wanted to ask you, are there any business interruption products that Britain provides? So we do provide uh, business interruption insurance, not maybe not really within the micro insurance business, but as part of our general insurance business in Kenya and elsewhere, we do provide uh, business interruption insurance. Okay. Do you think that there'll be a demand for, for this type of product in the lower income market, given what's happened with the pandemic? So that's an interesting question. And uh, I think we can really draw from experience from some of the other countries. We do know, for example, in the last decade after uh, some natural disasters that hit some of the Southeast Asian countries, insurers did experience uh, higher insurance uptake specifically for such products. For example, if you take Philippines, where some of the natural disasters earlier this decade has really led to growth of microinsurance industry, both from a supplier and consumer perspective. So we do expect that customers and the general population will realize the benefits of insurance at this time. And uh, that includes not only business interruption insurance, but also health insurance. And we do hope that there might be a change in insurance uptake because currently in this region, this uptake is uh, really, really low. Yeah. And uh, at Britain, what we are trying to do is coming up with custom health products for SMEs because we feel that SMEs are at a much bigger risk because they do need to open up to ensure that they are generating revenue, that they are paying staff salaries. So we have come up with a group health microinsurance product which is targeted at these SMEs. Right. So speaking about your clients, what impact have you seen on the economic activity in Kenya and specifically on your clients? I think uh, similar to rest of the world, there has been a very adverse effect on economic activity, especially a lot of industries that rely on international exports or imports have been severely impacted. I'll take example of flower industry in, in Kenya. A lot of informal workers are employed in, in, in this industry where flowers are exported to Europe. However, uh, due to this pandemic, there is a supply chain disruption. There is also less demand. So workers working in this area have really been affected. Actually, I was looking at some numbers that more than 30 to 50% of informal workforce working in this industry has been uh, laid off, mm -hmm. which is really a very unfortunate effect. Similarly, Another industry that have been badly affected is the hospitality industry. We we all know that Kenya rely a lot on tourism. In fact, uh, uh, last year, more than 2 million international tourists visit, visited Kenya for its uh, wonder to to see its wonderful uh, biodiversity however with the ban on international flights the tourism industry has been badly affected and uh, some of the major hotels have actually stopped working altogether and uh, for micro insurance specifically we were insuring a lot of staff working in the tourism industry and there is definitely a decrease in demand for insurance products within that industry 
So those are two examples that just show that how effect on economic activity has been. You will find similar effects, similar impacts on some of the other industries such as manufacturing or tea farming as well. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult time. What do you think the implications will be on economic activity once the restrictions are lifted? So I think uh, it there will be some time for uh, recovery. As I said, in case of Kenya, we have seen a more severe impact in economic activity compared to the direct impact of this outbreak. For example, the number of cases are still around 2,000, but uh, economists have already drastically cut down the growth forecast for the Kenyan economy for this year. And some of the sectors such as tourism, education, farming, manufacturing have been severely impacted. So I do feel that it will take some time before the economy is recovered. I think we are more concerned about people working in the informal sector. I was reading a report from the government of Kenya's labor ministry that almost 130,000 people have lost their jobs in last one and a half uh, months. And these are only for people where estimates are easily available. For sectors where which are more informal in nature, we expect this condition to be much worse. So we do think that economic impact has been a lot more severe and it will take some time before uh, we get back to the normal levels. And the implications for the insurance industry, especially the inclusive insurance industry, how do you think we're going to get through this difficult time? Do you think it's a case of riding the wave and taking the hit now and hopefully in future people will see the need for insurance and buy it in the future? How, how do you think the insurance industry should respond in the short term and what do you think the implications are in the long term? So uh, definitely insurance industry is very much related to the economic activity in the current uh, in the country and we are already seeing a slowdown in insurance uptake as employers or individuals or groups are either cutting costs or are laying off staff and we do understand these challenges uh, but i think this is also a very difficult time for someone to lose their insurance so i think for insurers it's really time to innovate, try to design products that actually meet the needs of customers in this time while ensuring that it doesn't put any extra financial burden. So for example, some of the things that we are trying at Britam are uh, trying to have more flexible premium payment options so that customers can, as, as you said, ride uh, this time by having more flexible payment options. We are also relying a lot more on innovations, trying to come up with digital products so that distribution costs in insurance are reduced and the products are more affordable to the customers. So, Saurabh, what do you see as the longer term implications for the insurance industry? As we were talking earlier, Lisa, we are hoping that insurance demand will improve. However, for that to happen, insurance industry will have to respond with some systemic changes. And I think the most important change is the need to adapt more client-centric processes. Insurers have long been known for complicated processes, and I think there is a need to change that. Specifically, I believe that insurers will need to redefine their role as 
not just a claim payer, but to become an actual risk manager. And if insurers have to stay relevant, it will have to become a participant in health and well-being of our customers. For example, if we talk about health insurance, I think insurers need to focus on promotive and preventive healthcare. For example, we can use digital or other solutions to promote preventive healthcare among our customers. For example, in Britain, we are already using SMSs as a means of communication to talk about preventive care, to talk about nutrition. But I think insurers will need to do a lot more and become a participant in the health and well-being. And I think to achieve this, insurers will have to improve their data analytics capabilities, especially in Africa, that will help us in identifying and isolating risk profile for health customers. And then that can help us in becoming more effective risk managers and not just claim payers. Is there any advice you might want to give others working in the insurance industry, specifically at this time? Yes, I think uh, this is something related to my uh, professional objective as well, and which is that insurers really need to look at the excluded or the underserved population groups. This outbreak, as I was saying, has been particularly severe on people working in the informal groups. And these are the groups which need formal risk protection mechanisms such as insurance. And I think to protect these vulnerable communities, insurers have to first start by changing their mindset and second, try to adopt new operating models that so that these vulnerable segments of our population can actually be protected. I think that's where insurers should really focus on in this coming decade, learning from this experience and how our vulnerable population groups have been exposed. Right. And I think there's something about, you know, finding those aggregators because people in the informal economy are Sometimes it's it's informal, but they still have some kind of structure. They're, they're arranged in groups in certain networks or through certain microfinance organizations or certain cooperatives. There are groupings um, that exist, and perhaps it's just about finding out how to tap into these higher networks so that more people can actually get cover when they need it. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I think that speaks to reducing the distribution cost uh, that I was talking about. This is something what uh, Britain has tried to do, and that's how we have managed to actually grow our microinsurance business. We have looked at different types of aggregators, such as uh, farmer associations. We also work with telcos, uh, mobile network operators, ride-hailing companies. So any kind of groups which provide access to a large number of customers so that we can have one custom product design for these customers. And second, we can reach out a large population through these channels and thus reducing our distribution costs and making insurance more affordable. So you're absolutely right in that model. I think that's the model needed to ensure the underserved segments. And aside from from the health risks that you cover, what other types of products are you currently focused on? I mean, telemed, you you could bundle with anything, but yeah, just thinking about some of the other risks and some of the other products that you have. I think uh, we currently offer a number of life insurance products as well. One is funeral insurance products. Funerals are... uh, 
generally a double blow for uh, microinsurance customers. One, you you have lost at times uh, the primary bread earner of the family. I think the funeral insurance covers the cost of funeral and we try to pay our claims within one or two days so that actually the insured can get the benefit very soon and can actually use this for the funeral costs, which includes, of course, the cost of the event as well as as well as any any other activities around that. So we distribute again this product through groups. And one of the interesting partner for distribution of this product has been churches. Uh, We know that churches actually take donations or take contributions from its members when uh, one of the members has a death in the family. So churches have realized that they can actually transfer this uh, risk to insurers. So we have managed to uh, distribute this product through some of the churches. However, we do use some of the other traditional channels such as agents or farmer associations to distribute that product as well. Other than that, we have also offered certain credit-linked products. And one of the interesting ones is actually a Again, a health insurance linked with uh, credit because we realized and this came from understanding customer needs is that when a customer faces health risk and if they have a loan, uh, now they not only have to pay hospital bills, but they also have to return their loan installments. So we work with some uh, cooperative lending institutions to deliver this product which is actually attached to a loan so that if a borrower actually gets admitted into a hospital their hospital bills are taken care of so that they don't face the risk of now paying back the loan it also protects the lending institution against uh, loan defaults so that's also an interesting product that has had quite a demand among our partners Great, thank you. And I'm just wondering as well with the current situation, have you seen any, in terms of the claims, I mean, across Kenya, the numbers, you know, what did you say? There were 2,000 infections that had been reported. Yes. Have you seen anything actually coming through in the data with any of your products? So have you seen any increase in claims or, you know, I assume that, you know, the the number of deaths hasn't been that significant. So you probably haven't seen that in your in your life insurance portfolio. Has there been any impact so far? And, you know, can you tell us a bit about that experience? Yes. So uh, you are right. We haven't seen any direct impact because the number of infections, positive cases, as well as deaths have been uh, very low. And also, I think these are early days. So we haven't seen any much, uh, a lot of direct impact on our claims. However, there, uh, what is interesting is uh, that we have seen some indirect effects. For example, uh, number of claims in other insurance products have decreased a bit. Let's take example of motor insurance or health insurance. With the lockdown in place, clearly movement on the roads has decreased. So, which understandably has reduced motor claims as well to some extent. Similarly, what I was saying earlier that uh, number of hospital visits in Kenya have drastically reduced. So, that has also that 
led to a decrease in health insurance claims. However, we do expect uh, that at some point, health insurance claim will start increasing again, especially for conditions where uh, customers or patients might have postponed their treatments, for example, any elective surgeries or such. However, uh, no pronounced direct impact, but yes, there are some direct effects that we have seen on claims. Would you say it's fair to say that in in Kenya, there are obviously health risks with the pandemic, but it seems as though the economic impact is really, I think, what is going to be affecting people in the short term, maybe even the medium term, hopefully not the long term, but perhaps products that look at dealing with some of those economic risks is that maybe somewhere where you think Britain and perhaps other insurers should be focused? Yes, you're right, uh, Lisa. Uh, and I think the economic activity has been most severely impacted. And one of the products that we are very keen to explore is business interruption insurance for uh, small and medium enterprises. I think this product has traditionally been offered to large industries. However, with this experience, we have seen that it's actually small enterprises or micro enterprises such as mom and pop stores that have been affected more adversely. So we are definitely exploring products of such type, which can actually protect these small enterprises against more unconventional risks. Great. Thank you, Saurabh. So this actually brings us to the end of our interview today. And I just want to say a big thank you again for being on our podcast. It was great to hear what's going on in Kenya. And I know these are difficult times, but I, I want to wish you and everyone at Britain all the best. And hopefully we will have you back again on the podcast in the future and we can follow the story of, of Britain. So thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much, Lisa. It was great to talk to you as well and share my and Britam's experience. You have been listening to the ILO's Social Finance Podcast on financial inclusion, impact insurance, and sustainable investing. To all our listeners, this is your podcast, and we want to cover the topics that interest you. We would love to hear from you, so please send us your thoughts for future podcasts, and we will do what we can to include them. You can send your ideas and feedback to us at socialfinance at ilo.org.